Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa from Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Tell us about yourself and tell us about the podcast. Um, So I am one half of the podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, with my co-host, Casper Turkile. And we are a chapter-by-chapter read-through of Harry Potter in which we treat Harry Potter as if it was the Bible. So it is like a a Bible study podcast, but we use Harry Potter instead of the Bible. Interesting. That's great. It's a lot more fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When did you become a Harry Potter fan? You know, I was really late. It's terrible. I I was in my 20s and um, started dating this guy who was like, I don't think this relationship will work if you don't read the Harry Potter books. (laughs) And I was like, I've been meaning to get around to him. Mm. Um, And so I started reading them and I was like, okay, these are really good. That's hilarious. Yeah, I and you know, and I we swapped books. I made him read Jane Eyre, and he made re- me read Harry Potter. And they actually, Jane Eyre is now one of his favorite books. It was like such a good swap. Oh, that's fantastic! And I assume he hosts Jane Eyre and the Sacred Text. The Sacred Text, he does. Everybody, <laughs> go listen to that fake podcast. It's great. Um, yeah, and like obviously, it changed my life. But and I'll just say, like, the more I read the book the more I love them. Like I just keep obviously rereading them. I'm I'm on my fifth time now. Yeah. Hot take guys. The Harry Potter books are like really good. (laughs) You're sure of this after reading them for the fifth time. (laughs) I am. I am like very committed to this great idea of mine that the Harry Potter books are good. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you on. And I'm so uh, happy to be here. Good, good. Uh, you mentioned that you do a chapter by chapter reread. This week we are doing our own chapter by chapter, Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 10, Luna Lovegood. But first, some muggle mail. And actually, before those emails, just want to say thank you to everybody who participated in Saturday's MuggleCast holiday giveaway on Twitter. Micah was running it behind the scenes, and Micah was. You were having a blast, weren't you? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and right off the bat, I asked you, Andrew, I said, you know what? This first prize, we were giving away the Goblet of Fire Illustrated Edition. It's not fun to just give away one. Let's give away three. And, and it became a recurring trend throughout the course of the giveaway because, you know, it's, it's fun. It's the holiday spirit. You should be in the giving mood. And uh, I tried to be funny and, and creative in the conversation that was going on. I know Eric loved one tweet in particular. Um, isn't yeah, that Mike, right? got really dirty about Arthur Weasley uh, I, and the I, thrift I, store. <laughs> like, I was like, whoa, it's Saturday morning. Oh, my gosh. It's too early for this. Of course, I loved it. But also, well, I oh, love all the tweets, Micah. It's just, yeah, your energy, man. That was it was a well-run campaign. Yeah, the, the prize that we were giving away in that particular tweet was the puzzle from the the New York Puzzle Company. Ah, yes. The the winner could pick their choice of a puzzle. And I just said, be mindful that these puzzles are harder than Mr. Weasley in a muggle thrift store. And, I, you know, it was just a good opportunity to, uh, wow. to have some fun. Remind us. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you to everybody who participated at twitter.com slash MuggleCast. That was a lot of fun, like Micah said. So I'm sure we'll do another one in the future. And uh, we'll have to kind of... Maybe sh- make sure uh, Micah doesn't run up the bill so high <laughs> like you did yesterday. I'm so disturbed by the idea that Arthur Weasley might have a penis. 
<laughs> right? Because he's like your dad, right? You know, it's like, ugh. Mm, he's like a Ken doll. Everything is smooth. There you go. There. <laughs> okay. Well, then how did he it. father seven children? Right. I was going to say he's used it at least seven times. Immaculate conception, guys. I am a 12-year-old of maturity when it comes to things like this. <laughs> ugh, ugh. Well, yeah. we apologize for sullying that. Yes. How dare you? Or Micah apologizes for sullying that. <laughs> wait, wait, seven or six? Because don't Fred and George count as one? Oh, there oh, you yeah. go. Yeah. Thank God. Okay, I can live with that. <laughs> he had sex six times. <laughs> Only six times. <laughs> we got some emails in regards uh, to our holiday gift guide episode. That was two weeks ago, which was a lot of fun to do, by the way. And everybody really enjoyed our recommendations, it seems. So we're glad people liked that episode. Sarah said, I just listened to the latest podcast about gifts and games. I wanted to recommend Fantastic Beast Perilous Pursuits. You play as a team and try to capture different beasts. You play as one of the core four from Fantastic Beasts and roll dice to try and capture beasts like the Niffler or Thunderbird. We have played with people that knew nothing about Harry Potter or Fantastic Beasts and they still had fun. Highly recommend. So thank you, Sarah, for that. I'm trying to figure out if I've played this game. I think I might have the Perilous Pursuit. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really fun. The next email comes from Danny, who says that the... uh, massive lego harry potter castle we talked about on our gift guide episode they say it's amazing my favorite rooms are probably umbridge's office it's so pink or the giant chess set or moving staircases with portraits behind the little sets on the side like the whomping willow that moves with the tiny ford anglia and hagrid's hut are also very well designed the great hall also has like stained glass windows and there are dementors flying over the castle and the hungarian horn tail and the four hogwarts founders you mentioned the size of the people being a problem but it really isn't to me it just made it more unique and you can still tell who the people are I have loved figuring out where to put all the people to make it lots of different scenes from the movies. The whole thing is just so magical, and it's so incredible how they were able to combine scenes and rooms from all of the books into one set. The building process itself was also absolutely incredible. It took me 16 hours over the course of three days while I listened to podcasts. Yeah. Yours and others nonstop. It is now sitting on a desk in my room and is the first thing I see every time I walk in. And it just makes me so happy. This is by far the best Harry Potter merch I own and probably will ever own. No matter where I move, it will be with me. If you can afford it, trust me, it's worth it. That's great. Thank you, Danny, for sharing that. I think you just inspired some people to buy it themselves. Uh, It's $400, FYI, is the price. The real question, Eric, is did you go to Phoenix during Thanksgiving to help our other listener build theirs? (laughs) I did not. However, I did reach out with some helpful, helpful tips. And hopefully, I've actually been meaning to check in. Our listener, Mariah, uh, wrote in and said that all of her family that was there for the day Uh, left before uh, pitching in to complete the set so she was all alone and didn't get to build it Mm. well if uh, you're nice to micah he might be he might continue to be generous with the mugglecast credit card and just buy that for you so (laughs) just play your cards right do i you know that that could have been another good prize to give away we didn't think about that a four hundred dollar lego set is is a little steep we did give away as the final prize a a standard print from mina lima so that yeah that's pricey yeah. too. That's not going to take you sixteen hours over the course of three days. It's just going to require you to purchase a frame and hang it in your apartment or your 
your home. So mm-hmm. a lot of the items that we did talk about on episode 444, we in turn then gave away on uh, right. you know, this this Twitter holiday giveaway. And uh, it's very interesting to see in some cases how certain items are now sold out. I'd like to think that we had something to do with that. <laughs> Micah brought a lot of business to the puzzle company. He's not even kidding. Like half of those puzzles are sold out now. Right. And by the way, those puzzles are really hard. I know Eric talked about it uh, when you made that recommendation. I'm still working through uh, the Shrieking Shack, and they take probably close to the same amount of time as uh, putting together this Lego Hogwarts castle, though. Yeah. Before we get started with chapter by chapter, wanted to let you know that today's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by a company that Dumbledore and Dobby would love. Bombas. Socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, and Bombas is on a mission to change that. They've created the most comfortable socks in the history of feet, and for every pair of socks purchased, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. Designed with special comfort innovations, colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas are perfect for the whole family. You can get your hands on a pair of Bombas socks, and your feet will thank you. To date, Bombas has donated over 20 million pairs of socks and counting. They're made from super soft natural cotton, and every pair is designed with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's supportive but not too thick. My new favorites are the Moreno Wool Socks, designed to be breathable, dry, and never itchy with just the right amount of thickness. Speaking from personal experience, I ordered a couple of these pairs just a few weeks ago, and I can't tell you how comfortable they are, especially in these winter months. They keep your feet nice and warm. With tons of different colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas makes the perfect gift for everyone on your holiday list this season. And don't forget, for every pair that you purchase, one is donated to somebody in need. You can save 20% on your first purchase when you shop at bombas.com slash mugglecast. That's bombas.com slash mugglecast to save 20%. All right, it's time now for chapter by chapter. And this week we are discussing chapter 10 of Order of the Phoenix, Luna Lovegood. And as always, we'll start with our seven word summary. And Vanessa, how this is going to work is we're actually each going to contribute a word to create a sentence. Got it. So you can go ahead. Chaos. <laughs> Rains. <laughs> During. The. Journey. To. Hogwarts. Yay, a sentence. <laughs> that was such a good team effort. Yeah. <laughs> Chaos is a great first word, really starting off the Yeah, we've never used that before. Harry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would have been lazy just said Harry. <laughs> this chapter, anyway, I'm going to hold on my analysis. No, no. You, so much chaos. Jump in, whatever. It starts with Fred and George pushing Ginny down the two flights. Two <laughs> flights of stairs. That's really mean. It's terrible. As, as some of you know... I fell down like six stairs at LeakyCon, and yeah. I and I tore oh all the ligaments in my ankle. So poor Ginny. Did Fred and George push you down? Yes, George pushed oh, me down. Oh and gosh. by George, I mean I was texting while running downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so the chapter begins with Harry having one of his crazy dreams. And uh, I guess we should just refresh that at the end of the last chapter... 
because it's been a couple weeks. Harry had walked in on Mrs. Weasley, who was having a terrible experience uh, with the Boggart. And in Harry's dream, his parents are weaving in and out, but they're never speaking to him. Mrs. Weasley is crying over Creature's dead body, with Hermione and Ron looking on wearing crowns. And then it wraps up with that corridor ending in a locked door yet again. So the corridor's there, the locked door's there, that's a recurring theme. But there's some weird stuff going on in this dream. I'm I'm wondering what Harry took before he went to bed. <laughs> well, it was it was a rough day that previous day. And I think wearing crowns is interesting because it sounded like by the end of the last chapter, things were put in perspective for him. He was like, oh, okay, it's not a big deal that Ron and Hermione are prefects because there's a lot more serious things to worry about. And yet he's still dreaming about them being in a higher position than he is. So he's not really over it. Yeah. Do we make anything of Creature's dead body? We know he survives. Um, Is it a premonition about Dobby? You know, how like... Yeah. Mm. The casualties of war, like the the indirect casualties, maybe, I think, with war looming. That's... Creature's the one I can't figure out, but I had the idea that um, Lily and James walking around in the background never speaking to harry is kind of representative of how dumbledore is in the background here and there never speaking directly to harry and we know that harry sees dumbledore as kind of a a guide or a would-be father figure if only dumbledore would pay him attention so i think maybe that's like the representation of his dumbledore um anxiety yeah i think it has a lot to do with isolation and I like the idea that, um, you know, Mrs. Weasley crying over a creature's dead body is a representation of how, you know, nobody treats creature very well in life. So this idea that somebody only gets, you know, the sort of positive treatment that they deserve in death. And that could just be sort of part of this whole manifestation of Harry's anxieties about isolation yeah that's a thoughtful answer i was just gonna say harry wants creature dead (laughs) (laughs) also dreams are weird dreams are just weird sometimes weird things happen in dreams and you're like huh what was that about (laughs) i do not think that harry wishes creature dead though i will come out swinging on that right oh yeah yeah but what do i think yeah I, I guess I disagree that like sometimes dreams are like mashups of songs that don't go together and you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you actually had just mentioned everybody's in a terrible rush. It always seems to be the case that whenever they're trying to catch the Hogwarts Express to go back to school, something is always up. They're always laid out the door. It's not as if they don't know what day and time it leaves every single year. (laughs) But suffice it to say, people are getting knocked down the stairs and pushed out of the way, and we're about to uh, embark on this journey to King's Cross, and somebody wants to join in. And this is uh, a questionable move on the part of Sirius Mm -hmm. to get outside of Grimmauld Place and to really get into um, a public setting. And there's not a whole lot of pushback on Sirius. And I wonder if it's just because everybody is in such a hurry to get the kids to King's Cross. Mm -hmm. And 
Molly turns to Sirius before they leave and she says, on your own head, be it. And I wondered if this was another one of those statements that could be considered an omen of what is to come for Sirius. It's not necessarily foretelling of his death, but it's it's kind of like, hey, like this is on you. Like you're making this decision and you have to suffer the consequences. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's representative of the rash behavior that we see from Sirius throughout the book that does ultimately result in his death. Mhm. I the question of whether or not Sirius should have gone though is an interesting one because if nobody really does know that Sirius can transform into a dog, which we learn later people do know that, including Draco and Lucius, um then it's not much of a problem. And but right cuz what would the risk be there if nobody truly knew? And I think the assumption was that nobody truly knew. I t- that was the assumption. Um I just think of Sirius's mental state being sort of forced out of the house. I mean, we know it's his choice to come dog Harry, but ultimately he has been cooped up for so long, like Dumbledore asking him to remain, um, sort of the rest of the order members can come and go as they please. But Sirius has really felt like a prisoner, not for the first time in his life, in his own home. And I just think of his mental state and, Mm -hmm. you know, I actually found a lot of joy in reading that Sirius is, I don't know, chasing pigeons uh, around for and, and, you know, local neighborhood cats for Harry's amusement. I thought it was a really touching moment between Godfather and Godson. And so although in the book it's characterized as very reckless by pretty much everyone, um, I found it to be really touching between the two of them. But what is I completely agree that it's a a very endearing moment. And that is actually a safe moment, right? Where he's behaving as a dog. But even Harry says, you know, like, stop it, like behave like a dog. And I, I do think that this is like high school serious. And again, this isn't his fault, right? He went to prison um, shortly after high school. And we know that traumatic experiences can emotionally stunt us. But um not, and I don't want to call him emotionally scented, but like he is, he's behaving recklessly in a strutty way that strikes me as a very immature, like thumbing his nose at authority, um, intentionally being like, I can get away with this. I can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, and I see Molly's comment really as an omen of like you are so reckless and this is going to come and get you I am washing my hands of you which is something that I feel pretty hard right I Casper my co-host we've had this fight um he doesn't wear a bike helmet and bikes everywhere Mm. oh Casper I know and I in a very harsh moment of our friendship because I was so desperately anxious about seeing him without a helmet I was like if you die because you're not wearing a helmet like I won't even grieve you like I'm so I know if we got into a big fight about it and I obviously didn't mean it but I I was just so mad at how reckless he was being that I was like do you know what screw you and so I just really feel for Molly in this moment of like I love you and Harry loves you and you are just like not being safe yeah um and it's it is frustrating to watch someone you love not take care, not take care in those moments. Yeah. And Molly's got enough to worry about. So 
Sirius also coming along is just not what she needs right now. Right. I think Sirius also just should have played more coy out in the field. He should not have been jumping up on Harry, licking Harry, playing with Harry. Like, do that to Ron or Hermione or somebody else because people are going to notice that and be like, hmm, why is that dog so into Harry? Did he get a dog over the summer? Um, <laughs> yeah. Does anybody he really love able to turn into a dog? Like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's too much. Right. We and we have to assume at this point that Peter Pettigrew has passed along information to Voldemort yeah, and right. to the Death Eaters as to the fact that Sirius can transform mm. into a dog, and this just puts him front and center. And we learn later, obviously, that Malfoy was aware of this, and that's information that's valuable to. The Death Eaters, and I, I think this is the starting point of them being able to find a way to lure Harry ultimately away from Hogwarts at the end of the book. Mm. They know that Sirius is alive and well, and he's with the Order, and he's with Harry, and Harry has this connection to him. So I think this was mm. a big misstep on the part of of Sirius. And yeah, it's a great point. Molly, though. She Molly does kind of mess up a little bit, whether she says it in a soft tone or a loud tone. I know you wrote here that she whispered it, but she does say Sirius's name. Yeah. And I thought that's a huge mistake on her part. I don't care, you know, what the setting is. They're out in public. They're on the the track or the platform rather. And she should be smarter than that. Yeah. I mean, using aliases is not, uh, cannot at this point be a foreign concept to her. And he's already adopted uh, the name Snuffles for when he's a dog. Right. Like, it's built It's built in. Just call him Snuffles. Or like pain in the butt. Yeah. It's not like she, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just call him a swear word. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've all had that frustrating moment with our dog. Oh, where we're like, hey. Yeah, me every day, pretty much. <laughs> my my partner doesn't have a middle name, and so I make up different middle names for when I'm mad at him. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's. Do you I call him serious. No, it, it's been Chester for a little while now. Chester, it's mm-hmm. a good holiday one. I yeah, feel. I'm like Peter Chester. <laughs> Mostly when he obliterates me at a game, but you know. Oh yeah. How dare he? One other bit of information that we get as uh, everybody's arriving at uh, King's Cross Station, uh, Moody mentions that Sturgis Podmore is MIA. And this is the second time in the past week or so that he's failed to report for duty. And Moody's going to make sure that that information gets back to Dumbledore. And that's just a, a little note that's dropped in there by J.K. Rowling that we should be concerned probably for uh, good old Sturgis, but in some way. But Moody doesn't seem too concerned, does he? He just thinks that uh, this could be another Mundungus situation where the guy is just sucking, mm. right? Yeah, that's but yeah, no, I mean it definitely could be though. Sturgis seems to have a little bit higher standing than somebody like Mundungus, and maybe Moody just knows him 
And he's like, oh, Sturgis up to no good. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, Sleepy Sturgis. We should be concerned for him. Yeah. Well, that's my point. It's just it doesn't seem like Moody is very alarmed at the fact that he's missing for a second time. Like in this setting, in this situation, they should be highly concerned when somebody like Sturgis is missing. That yeah. should set off all the red alarms and um, red flags. And Sirius shouldn't be running around because there's danger afoot. Some of them are being caught now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also just like a weird like have they learned nothing from the Bertha Jorkins incident? Like there's just a lot of chill around missing people in the wizarding world that I don't quite understand. <laughs> if like someone is 10 minutes late and this could be like my Jewish upbringing, but like someone's 10 minutes late, I assume they're dead. So like <laughs> I don't and there's like apparition and like there are a million ways to communicate. Yeah, right. Why would someone just not show up? Why why are people so relaxed about that? Yeah. It's yeah. very strange. He's just like, oh, I'll get around to telling Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find out at some point. In the meanwhile, let's all stay out in the open. Yeah. This was the 90s, everybody. There, there was no cell phones. This is this is mid-90s communication. But they can send Patronuses. I like Patroni. They can send Patroni being like, hello, can't make mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, it. It's very true. Very, very true. This this scene also reminded me very much is like a precursor to the seven potters and Deathly Hallows because everybody's arriving with different people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys got that sense as well. Yeah, definitely whenever the order's on the move, it does feel like it's written like in a clever way. Even this chapter, she's talking about not only who's coming with who to the King's Cross uh, station, but on the on the train as well. Um, people are moving compartments and specific pets are with each person. Like somebody's carrying pigs, somebody's carrying headwigs, somebody's carrying crookshanks. And like it's all very meticulously detail like detailed. So I, I did notice that about the writing in this chapter, that it like seems to be very strategic, although the stakes are ultimately very low. Let's talk about the train then. Let's. So the trio finally get on board. And Ron and Hermione are like, eh, sorry, Harry, we got to go be prefects. <laughs> you did a perfect Jim Dale doing Hermione right there. Sorry, <laughs> Harry. Yeah, and, and poor Harry, he's never traveled without Ron on the Hogwarts Express. Mm-hmm. It's time for some separation anxiety. <laughs> like he hasn't had a go with that at all for this book. You really do feel bad for Harry here because he's watching his friends advance in their lives. He's They've got this cool official thing going on and he's left behind. And it reminded me of how social media can give us this type of anxiety where you see people excelling in their careers or doing something really cool in their life. And you're just like, oh, here I am just double tapping this photo on my couch because I have nothing better to do with my life. Um, and, and Ron and Hermione have something, like I said, official to do. Harry has never gotten a cool promotion like this before. Everything he has done is cool, but it's because Voldemort is out to kill him. Like (laughs) he didn't get promoted in some way because he's really talented. Whereas Ron and Hermione are getting this type of promotion. So I can see why Harry feels bad and feels left behind. And he might be worried that he won't excel later in life like ron and hermione might that's a good question i'm trying to think like i guess i see being made seeker a promotion but it happened so long ago mm-hmm. you know like it was based right. on his ta- it was based on his talent but 
and, and he was the youngest one in a century. But it it's so long ago that he doesn't see it as being like I'm special. Like it's easy to gloss over. I think your own prestige and your own accomplishments when being confronted with the successes of others. And I think you're right to point out, Andrew, like the end of the last chapter where he's like, everything's fine with me and Ron and Hermione, but still on the inside, he's still, it, it's like a little kick to the gut every time he sees them like go off. And the fact that he's alone and is, is um, mourning it, you know, all over. A again. lot of people, a lot of people want more, right? They always want more. Yeah. And and the getting promoted to seekers a lifetime ago, like you said. So, I, you know, I actually don't think that Harry wants to be a prefect. I think he just feels left out because he even notes when Ron and Hermione get their letters that he'd never really thought about it before. Mm. I think he just feels left out because his two best friends are getting this prestige and it doesn't really quite matter what it is. It's just that they're getting something that he isn't. And, you know, Harry's young, he's 15 and he spent a lot of his life feeling isolated from living with the Dursleys who treated him like garbage to transitioning into the wizarding world where he's all of a sudden this very public celebrity who doesn't quite get the amount of privacy he might like. So he's lived two very, you know, different sides of that spectrum. And now the people he's closest with have this experience handed to them that kind of separates them from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he knows how nice the prefect bathroom was. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and like, what's better? Oh my God. What's better than a nice bathroom? Not a lot. I'm not going to lie. I I remember reading that chapter and I was like, I want to use this bag. Totally. <laughs> that can be our, um, that can be in our forthcoming Harry Potter Airbnb, Laura, a really nice bathroom for a amazing, but it has to have, yeah, it has to have a bathtub that's deep enough to swim in. Oh, yeah. yeah. That sounds great. And, and uh, that's important. And hold a golden egg under. <laughs> I think I I think J.K. Rowling straight up stole that idea from Pee Wee Herman though. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman had a bathtub big enough to swim in, and it was oh, awesome. Man. None of you are old enough for the eighties, no? Okay. No. I mean, I watched him a little bit. Yeah. So good. Anyway. <laughs> I watched Pee Wee's Playhouse yes, when I was that very one. little. Yeah. yeah. Well, in one of the movies, I don't remember which one. He is a bathtub big enough to swim in. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Great. That's so awesome. This this will be in JKR's memoirs that she was inspired <laughs> Pee Wee Herman <laughs> for the uh, prefect's bathroom. Yeah, but... hopefully just on that one thing. <laughs> I got the idea of horcruxes from Pee Wee Herman. The the only other thing that I would add here is is I think Harry primarily feels the way he does though, just because he's being separated from Ron and Hermione. He really hasn't gotten a chance to spend a whole lot of time with him, them. And this is like customary. It's something that happens every year. They get to ride the train to school together and talk and hang out. And while I do think there is something to be said for the fact that they're prefects, I do also think it's just a matter of, hey, I'm not going to get the opportunity to spend a couple hours with my friends before I get to school. And it's just disrupting what has been kind of a normal thing for him yeah and quite honestly i mean he's he's faced a lot of that so far uh in this book 
and and it's just another example of of him being isolated yeah and, and laura i i agree with you about it's not about harry wanting to become a prefect it's to me it's about ron and hermione are moving forward in their lives they're moving on mm-hmm. they're they're advancing and like what is harry how is harry advancing he's just he's not it, the interesting thing is that there's always I, I love these chapters where they're going to hogwarts it's just because it's like such an event right so like in in many cases that you know they're on the train and jk rowling's having to write different occurrences it's kind of like how she has to make each quidditch match a little bit different each hogwarts express train ride to hogwarts is different for the company that harry keeps the circumstances that happen and it's different every year and this is the year where like harry of course meets luna but like he is just having to bear more of it than usual alone and that just further exemplifies i think the theme of this book of harry kind of being singled out for who he is or singled out just in general and it's kind of very fitting that he is alone for part of this journey or at least in his head for it Mm -hmm. because he spends the whole book kind of in his head and he's not really able to connect to ron and hermione like he normally would in general but then also on the train because they're away yeah and also the hogwarts express is a place where the trio generally tend to do a lot of conversing and plotting and just like decompressing about what to expect in the coming year and we see this later on in the series where there's a lot of weirdness happening on like with draco and they spend a lot of time shut in their cabin talking about how they're going to deal with this so now not only is harry separated but the people that he really wants to talk to about how am i going to deal with this Mm -hmm. aren't there take some extra rides on the train during the school year i mean what is that train doing in between the new terms anyway way <laughs> yeah oh. keep the trolley lady employed <laughs> yeah, seasonal employment is a blight yes yeah maybe she has her own podcast to kill the time in between it's, terms it's called claws <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> harry though gets a lot of interesting looks as he's weaving his way through the different cars to try and find a place to sit and let's face it it's not year one anymore where he's should be getting stares from people so i think again this is another moment for him where he continues to feel that level of isolation because these people are looking at him because of what happened at the end of last term because of what news is being spread about him and dumbledore and that's got to just add to his level of feeling really shitty like you know it's like he can't even duck into a compartment to just get away from everything and on top of that the one he ends up being in is is one at least it seems for right now like he'd rather not be in and he just can't escape i think that's the other thing it's 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 isolation but then it's not being able to escape from a situation that you feel really anxious or nervous about being in all this bad press that the the daily prophet is spewing on him he's basically a pariah he's basically like an outcast he's been like people all this bad press people really have now built up in their heads that like a really just negative connotation against him like i i just it always brings me down realizing that the press has done this to a person who is 
ultimately innocent as well. A 15-year-old, let's let's keep that in the back yeah, of our minds. Yeah, exactly. And really, the, the only solace in that is that he finds a, com- a train compartment with another outcast. You know, like, he actually ends up being exactly where he needs to be. He just doesn't know it at the time or really appreciate it. Right. So let's talk about Luna. Uh, she is introduced to us as having straggly, waist-length, dirty blonde hair, very pale eyebrows, and protuberant eyes that gave her a permanently surprised look. (laughs) She had stuck her wand behind her ear for safekeeping, had chosen to wear a necklace of butterbeer caps, and was reading a magazine upside down. She did not seem to blink as much as normal humans. (laughs) And she is introduced to us by Ginny initially before they even go into the compartment as loony love good and good old Neville doesn't even want to sit with her. <laughs> what does Neville have to, to be choosy about? Honestly? Yeah. Well, exactly. So th- I know we're going to get into this, uh, but it, it, it's, it's almost comical in a way, ironic, I guess that this is how our outcasts, right? Our group that we've been with for five books is reacting to another outcast who I would say though definitely feels more comfortable in her own skin than some of these other people did. Yeah. It's just, it it, one marginalized group is not going to get along intimately with another marginalized group or person just because they're both marginalized. It's not how it works. People are different. Everybody's different. And the fact that Neville doesn't want to sit with Luna is like telling, but also I'm glad that that, Obviously, with with knowing the end of the book or knowing how the series progresses, they obviously rely on each other over time um, Mm -hmm. and over the course of this book. So that's that feels, you know, a little bit better about sort of his snuffing of her right now. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of rough. And honestly, the movie adaptation, like the casting of Ivana Lynch was, I I think, um, I know I intended to bring it up at some point, but I, I think it was a very very good decision to be made but you know honestly it kind of softens some of these features that jk rowling is writing about protuberant eyes and when harry sits down in the train compartment she is really staring at him like really 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 staring at him and making him very uncomfortable and book luna is kind of like just cranked up to a thousand Mm -hmm. um whatever the film adaptation is yeah like that wild laughter at ron's joke was very surprising and something i had forgotten about because that's not in the movie it's just like whoa what is up with this girl (laughs) but actually yeah just speaking of ivana maybe now we can just take that little aside i just want to point out um some people might not know she got that role because she she is a huge harry potter fan just like us and she would visit MuggleNet.com all the time. And we had posted about the open casting call for Luna Lovegood. And she had responded to that open casting call. And that's how she got the role. (laughs) So she is a true Harry Potter fan. And she brought that to set. And she made her own jewelry for Luna in the movie. I believe it was her earrings, right? Yes. Um, she And I mean, she was just so perfect for that role. Like, it's it's stunning how good she was. Like, yeah, there's some differences from the book, but I think it. she just brought it perfectly to the screen. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. And that, that's adorable. Right? Also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently she would she... like on set, 
like go over to the other actors and talk to them about Muggle Dad. It was pretty funny. <laughs> um, like, did hey, like Emma, Emma, did you see like this uh, top ten list of the you know weird stuff like that? I don't know. And I, Emma was I, like, uh, "What? What? <laughs> oh, on, on Muggle Dad, on on the fan thing? Yeah, listen." Yeah. Luna, uh, listen, right. Ivana. I'm a fan, but not that kind of fan. <laughs> well, and also, I think worth mentioning that she listened to this podcast back in the day as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the first time we did a live show with her, she wore her own Muggle Cast T-shirt oh, she did. that she yeah. had purchased. Yeah, yeah. and it, you know, she's been on the show several times since, but. Just very, uh, very cool story. She's one of the good eggs, that's for sure. Right, and because she got into the, you know, she she wasn't an actress before Harry Potter. Um, I was there on the Order of the Phoenix set visit, and she was so so nervous. Like the publicist was sitting right next to her when we were interviewing her, and she was just like, you know, she couldn't put words together because that was one of the first times she was in front of press, and it was. And and you look at her now, she's just like completely transformed and has her own podcast, by the way, The Chick Peeps. It's a vegan podcast. Yeah. I know. I love her vegan activism. Yeah. Anyway, so Luna Lovegood's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so, I, it's so, I mean, she's such a gift to enter this, um, this world and to the, the trio and, you know, Ginny and Neville's life. And I, I loved the point that like not all outcasts are the same and not all marginalized people should have to get along, right? But there is also something beautiful about the fact that because, because they are all marginalized, they, they are able to join together in a way and really understand one another. Um, and I mean, this could be because um, I'm currently reading book six, but I'm just like so moved by the fact that Harry invites Luna to the slug club, like really because she is the person who he most wants to spend time with at the slug club party. And I just think that she, you know, it's Casper's theory that she's sort of the priestess of the group, that she is like taking care of everybody. She certainly takes care of Mr. Ollivander at Malfoy Manor. And this is just a moment of, I think it's a great moment to remind us all that like you don't necessarily have the right first impression of somebody and somebody can seem really off to you, but they might end up being just like the greatest gift of your life. I love that. Yeah. People, people can be really, really good for you and it won't look that way at first. Right. Or it'll look just different or you won't, you know, we don't, we don't know what to expect. Honestly, people are, people are biased. First impressions are real. Um, kickers you know and things and you gotta kind of overcome them uh, but i i love the idea that like viewing luna's entry into this world as you said vanessa but like in this chapter but in this book you get such a dark book that's um you know i'm gonna say morbid but very brooding very bleak and then you have somebody like luna who is perfectly at peace with preposterous theories and She's just a perfect uh, antidote to some of the darker parts of this book. And she exposes. So I think that the way that the way that engaging with people who we don't usually engage with always exposes our own prejudices. 
like she exposes Hermione, right? Hermione is like, oh, that magazine is trash. <laughs> and she's like, actually, my dad is the editor, right? And like, we don't realize the ways in which we are racist or, you know, like any number of ways that we are prejudiced until we find ourselves in a totally foreign group. Yeah. And we're like, oh, I suddenly realize that this thing that I say all the time is really uncomfortable to say when X person is in the room. Yeah. And I feel like Luna therefore makes everybody better through her yes. difference. Yes. Mm -hmm. She does the same thing to Ron too, in, in a little bit of a different way, but just kind of Ron is not very self-aware, I think, in terms of how he treated Padma at the um, Yule Ball. And yeah. Luna just speaks the truth and, and has no filter about it whatsoever. And I think that kind of contrasts Hermione's moment, right? Because everybody kind of laughs, like Ginny's laughing mm -hmm. or trying, they're trying to contain their laughter versus when she goes back at Hermione, it's kind of a very serious moment. So she, she's able to do both, but it's all through the, it's all through speaking the truth uh, about things. So um, she's also an extremely popular character, right? And comes along in the fifth book. It, I think that says something too, that you're being introduced past the middle of the series, yet she is such a fan favorite uh, amongst readers. Yeah, and I love that she is in Ginny's year, right? Like she could just be a really precocious 11-year-old, like maybe Harry and his friends, like the compartments on the train, which for some reason they still haven't figured out how to like <clears throat> organize people on the train. Uh, <laughs> they're always having to search for a, a compartment or something. There's nothing assigned. Like if they had to accidentally sit with like first years and you could introduce Luna that way, JK Rowling instead is like, here's a character that's been here at Hogwarts all these years. She's mm. in Ginny's year. So there's all this untold sort of story potential that you could plumb because Luna is like Jenny's age. She's all their ages. She's just a year younger than, than Harry, Ron and Hermione. So like, I don't know. It's just brilliant introducing a character, not only five books into seven to your point, Micah, but one that has like retconningly been there the whole time. We just didn't know about her because she's in Ravenclaw and we don't really focus on the non Gryffindor houses. And it, I'd have to look back, but, was she ever mentioned because J.K. Rowling has a tendency to name drop characters mm -hmm. like one time in other books before they end up playing a larger role yeah. in future books. I think Cho Chang is a perfect example of that. Right. She gets a mention or a couple mentions because of the Quidditch match in Prisoner of Azkaban. And then she ends up obviously playing a larger role in, in Goblet of Fire. Um, so that that's just one that comes to mind. The other thing about this, though, with Ginny is that... I, I wanted to just explore, like, is there more of this inner house bonding that goes on in Ginny's year? Because she seems to just, I wouldn't say she's friends with Luna, but it, it was interesting to me that she was connecting with a fellow fourth year who was in a different house, right? A lot of what we see with the trio is just limited to Gryffindor. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, they have classes that are dual yeah. house classes. You would think that Harry, Ron, and Hermione would extend, you know, friendship to Herbology with the Hufflepuffs, that they would have a, a couple of Hufflepuff friends. But it just, it's the pro, it's kind of a, a minor failure of the books that because Harry, Ron, and Hermione have to keep to themselves due to the plot, that there's no reaching across 
sort of the house divide and that all of their friends are in Gryffindor. The alternative is, I mean, Dumbledore's army really does lit you later in this book. And it, it really seems to be pretty much the only thing that, that brings more than one house together. And even then they're uniting under a common foe, but sure. Um, yeah. I just get the sense that Ginny's popular. Mm. Oh, oh, for sure. And I think, yeah, I think, I think that's a big part of it. She's just more predisposed to know more people because she's just like the cool Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. She's also, I mean, she's not just cool. She's like deeply, deeply kind. Uh, um, and I think that she also has a predisposition to stand up to bullies and Luna is someone who is constantly bullied. And so I, I think it is entirely possible that she knows who Luna is because she has defended Luna. But I also just think that this is a failure of Hogwarts. Like the house system is so poorly done. And like, I am very anti-house as a pedagogical tool. I think it would be fine if it was arbitrarily assigned. But I think that assigning children at 11 based on their characteristic traits is like a really pernicious thing. And um, and there doesn't seem to be any inter-house bonding yeah, at all. That's a good point. Um, and they're set up to compete against each other for points, even in class when they have classes together. So they the only times we see them interacting is this competition. And so there's just like no incentive to get to know people from other classes. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, as much as it is the trio and the plot that keeps them isolated, it's also the institution of Hogwarts that keeps them isolated. That's a really good point. Yeah, totally. It's also a security nightmare. I was gonna, I was trying to figure out a way to work that in. Right now. Yeah, I mean, well, do you believe that just, Vanessa is Hogwarts a security nightmare? I think Hogwarts is Hogwarts is the weirdest freaking school. <laughs> That's so ever. Dumbledore. It is just like. Yeah, Dumbledore should definitely not be the head of the school. There should be someone with like a master's in education somewhere. Uh-huh. Like the pedagogy is like so deeply flawed. Uh, security nightmare, yes, but like also why isn't there a guidance counselor? Like it is just a strange, strange yeah. place. And I like your point about uh, no inner house relationship building going on. That's That's a great observation. Everybody's very split. And then like you said, competing against each other too. And by the way, to get back to one of your questions from a few minutes ago, Micah, David, who's listening live on Patreon right now, he says, the Lovegoods got a name drop in Goblet of Fire. They're the Weasley's neighbors. Yep. Uh, on their way. Oh, that's, oh, that's right. right. When Cedric, when they're going, I, that's where I, I am with my kids right now. Oh, okay. We just read that chapter, so I should have known. Yeah, it's in the yeah. porky scene, right? Or Yep, yeah. exactly. In the porky. There you go. Very good. No, no Luna, but the love goods. So she did drop. Yeah, half the love a seed goods there. are the only other ones in the neighborhood. Mm. Well, thanks, David. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I just did want to follow up on a point that Vanessa, you made. Uh, Ginny does speak up for Neville. You know, talking about standing up for people, because Neville introduces himself after Harry is recognized, of course, and he introduces himself as a no- as nobody. And Ginny says, you're not nobody. And I thought that was a very powerful moment, too, because and this ties into, Eric, something you, you were talking about with Dumbledore's army. This this is the beginning. This is the formation of Dumbledore's army happening, whether they realize it or not, within this compartment. Um, yes, there's a lot of Gryffindors, but you also are starting to bring in another house in Ravenclaw with Luna. And I think it's important that all these characters are bonding, whether they 
realize it or not. Yeah. I think that, yeah, definitely this is a crucial, Luna is a critical ingredient. And what hap- happens on the train is like a, definitely a gathering of the ingredients. The only thing you need, again, is that common enemy in Umbridge who is not right now so, you know, insanely um, the inciting sort of action, inciting the action of creation of Dumbledore's army. But these people together, like it's it's really special. Like They just don't know how special it's all going to be, which is kind of really cool. And this moment is also really interesting because Neville, I don't think he knows this at this point, but he was very close to not being nobody. (laughs) I mean, the only thing that makes that so is that Voldemort chose Harry. It's very much like the Jesus Christ and the John the Baptist syndrome where like either one of them could have been the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens it was Jesus. Mm -hmm. So nobody ever thinks about John. (laughs) Well, Luna, I was almost a somebody, but that guy missing a nose decided <laughs> Harry is the chosen one. You know, it, it is a funny joke, though, considering the prophecy is this book, and we find out about Neville later in this book, that he should introduce himself as nobody. It's very clever. Um, but then again, Harry on the night bus calls himself Neville Longbottom, because in his estimation in year three, Neville is a nobody. <laughs> nobody will know oh, his name. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. So... Um, but did you guys remember, so how old were you all when this book came out? Did you read this book when it first came out? Was everybody like, yeah, reading book I five? was, I was like 13. Okay. Like I was 15 and I remember reading this chapter, particularly this line. So like a bunch of people walk by, it's kind of a rotating compartment when they're all in the train together and Cho comes in and there's this line in the book that says, he would have liked Cho to discover him sitting with a very cool group of people, laughing their heads off at a joke Harry just told. He would not have chosen to be sitting with Neville and Looney Lovegood, clutching a toad and dripping in stink sap. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, the stink sap thing is disgusting and it's totally very valid. But I remember being 15 and this line struck me as the ugliest one yet for Harry's mental state. Because he's like, he doesn't want to be hanging with Neville and Luna. And sure, he doesn't know Luna. But, like, Neville's his friend. Neville's only ever been nice to Harry. And he feels, like, just this revulsion about where he's at and and what he's doing. Yeah. And I just, I thought, because I, I think at the time, at 15, was also very concerned about um, being included in, in, in friends' things and, and fitting in and finding a group, that it really just resonated with me that Harry sort of rejected his present company in such a strong way. And yeah. now it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, that, really. that mattered a lot. And then you get into college and none of that really matters at all. <laughs> but I was yeah. also wondering, like, who are the cool kids in Harry's mind? Is it Ron and Hermione? Because they're not exactly considered cool. But I think if Ron and Hermione <laughs> were there, he'd be like, oh, yeah, check me out, show. I'm with Ron and Hermione. <laughs> but don't you think that moments like that are it's like an ecosystem i think that if he wasn't covered in stink sap it wouldn't bother him or if like the person that he doesn't really know but it's called loony lovegood was there if he was just caught with Ginny and neville holding a toad he'd be like hey what's up <laughs> but like you just start making a list of all the things that make you look bad mm-hmm. And then you become like the least gracious version of yourself. And by you, I mean me. Like I I can just imagine 
being caught like in my Crocs and socks by like <laughs> someone who I think is like awesome and cool and being like, yeah, I'm rocking my Crocs and socks. <laughs> if I'm like out walking my dog or like feeling good about myself. But like if I've just gotten like dog poop accidentally on me, suddenly the Crocs and socks is like, oh my God, I have dog poop and Crocs and yeah. socks. Like you need, you know what yeah. I mean? hundred percent. I feel like it's the whole ecosystem of the situation. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, Jesus. Yeah. So I wonder if he wasn't co- covered in stink sap. If he'd be like, yeah, look how nice I am. <laughs> I'm hanging out with Luna Lovegood. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think to Cho, that would actually be admirable that he's hanging out with Neville and Luna. Right. I agree. And I just think the stink sap makes everything feel awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and smell. What do you think Mm -hmm. Cho's opinion of Luna is? They're in the same house, right? And they're only a year apart, so that must help being in the same house. Well, it depends. Does Cho think of her as Looney Lovegood or as (laughs) just you know a special person? I'd love to talk about that because Cho, what kind of a Ravenclaw? I think we have to pin what kind of a Ravenclaw Cho is on her because whether she's like the studious type that would make fun of Looney for like being different or whether she's more the adventurous curious Ravenclaw side which would be more aligned with Luna's own vision because I I think that's like kind of a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer situation with Luna where the other reindeer are always making fun of her stealing her shoes I think makes it into the movie um you know all that kind of weird stuff but then there are other Ravenclaws I think who would appreciate her beating to her own drum and which is Cho Cho is kind of like a, a jock just like Harry she's you know an athlete so would she make fun of Luna would she think that Luna's Weird, or would she just be more? I don't know. Accepting. Looney, the love, good reindeer. Oh God, Ravenclaw. <laughs> we just got told Andrew, off for our we singing. Just, we just I got a know. negative. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> guys, I'm powering oh, through and so ignoring good. that review about my singing 12 years ago to continue on. Yeah, ignore that. That's hateful. Your singing is beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh my gosh, Vanessa, to hear that from you, that means a lot. I. It is sincere. Thank you. Can you please write a review on iTunes about us and my great singing? I, you know, I'm going to do it right now, and you think I'm kidding. Love when they sing. Love the joy. Um, I, I think that Cho probably thinks that Luna is weird and awesome. I think she's like, I don't want to spend my time with you because you're a lot. And, like, what we love about Luna's truth-telling, I think, would be exhausting to be around in real life all the time. Mm. I respect the hell out of it but i'm just like taciturn enough that i'm like we don't need to say all the things all the time i think it is like the right strategy to walk i just think i would find it difficult to be around mm-hmm. and but cho like chosen athlete but she's an athlete who's like willing to sacrifice winning to like warn harry about dementors and like she, she, I love Cho. I think she's perfect. So I think she's nice to Luna. Yeah, that's a good point. She stays, she stays loyal to Marietta, right? Like, we know that Cho is willing to, like, take an unpopular stance in order to be protective of people. That's a good point. That's a, that's a really good point. I love Cho. She's so beautiful and wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it was an instance where you're getting caught in a bad situation 
with your crush staring right at <laughs> you, right? And I think there's something to be said for the fact too that Harry is a teenager. He so it's not uncommon for him to think this way. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, and especially as adults, when we come back and read these books, we come at it with a different lens. But I think the likelihood is most of us probably would have acted in a similar way or at least thought in a similar way as Harry in that particular situation. It's it's not an uncommon thought to have, but I do agree. It's it's not exactly like he's the the cool kid at this moment either. So <laughs> to to kind of have that thought about Luna it, it's it's tough. It is. It's definitely very lifelike, like to your point, like we all have these thoughts. We all have absolutely had that experience of, oh, I'm embarrassed about the company I'm keeping right now, even though they're my friends. Um, So good on J.K. Rowling for like writing this into a book, into a scene in a book, because it is very true to life. And for, for me, at least for me growing up, it was mostly about the fact that like people I hung out like, like they people I hung out with, they definitely weren't the cool kids, but it was partly because like, they just didn't take care of themselves. Like they may have smelled or wore really baggy clothing or just like, didn't do anything with their hair. I had that cool wave going on, but nobody else really cared about themselves. So that's why I would be I don't appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) He's not talking about you, Laura. Or Wink, wink. No, but like, I mean, that is definitely the reason I bring that up is that is really not exactly the issue Harry has with Neville and Luna, I don't think. It's just just because of like their attitudes and their mannerisms. He's also not having the best like start of term, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Let's just think about what he's gone through in the last several (laughs) weeks. Mm -hmm. So this just this just adds to it. It's just compounding the situation for him. But I do think it says something that this character has only been introduced for several pages in in this book and yet all of us seem to feel such a strong tie in terms of standing up and defending her Mm -hmm. so one other piece of information that we do learn about uh, when ron and hermione come back to the compartment is who the other prefects are that we would know uh, from harry's year and uh was this something that we remember that we were looking forward to? Like once we knew that Ron and Hermione had been named Gryffindor prefects, that we're like, okay, well, yeah. Or, or were we like really only concerned about Slytherin and didn't give a shit about Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Ouch. We just don't know that many people. Like these are names we've heard right. before, but maybe once or twice. And like, you know, Padma is is a very generous. Um, reference because obviously like you know with having gone to the Yule Ball the year before we know her a little bit better but uh, but yeah no it's that's the only reason she was made a prefect was so that audience recognition we would recognize her throw shade (laughs) no no Luna could throw shade at Ron that that's the whole reason why JK Rowling oh maybe (laughs) that would be great if that were the case no I I also think it's to show that like Ron and Harry messed up with awesome chicks Right, like yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I they agree with that. completely objectified these women. They invited them because they were like the least ugly women that they could think of to invite. And it's like, hey, actually, there's like complete interiority and awesomeness to these people that you treated like crap. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I have not forgiven Ron and Harry. For that. <laughs> 
nor have they issued an apology. It's such a, a an unexpected dose of Luna medicine, or to, to, like when she confronts Ron right here and there about Padma. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's just audience name recognition. Honestly, like Ernie McMillan, at least he's not the other Hufflepuff that we know who's a real jerk to Harry. Zacharias Smith, hate that guy. Glad he comes up later. But yeah, that's it. Like I don't, we don't know that many. To our point, kind of a recurring theme of lack of house knowledge, lack of interhouse relations. We just don't know that many other people. So I don't know who the alternative to these particular prefects would be, unless J.K. Rowling were going to mention names for the very first time, which is, as we said with the Love Goods, very unusual that she would do that. They kind of all had to be people we already knew. And one big question is why Draco was made a prefect, and we will discuss that in Bonus MuggleCast this week, available on Patreon. We're going to review some interesting theories and debate if Dumbledore should have stepped in. It was probably Snape's decision, but why did Dumbledore not step in? So we'll talk about all that. I think it's going to be great. So one other piece that I thought was important to talk, talk about in this chapter before we kind of wrap things up uh, was the Quibbler. Luna is reading it. And uh, we talked about the comment that Hermione made about, you know, not really being a quality source of information, but Harry does recognize it as the paper that Kingsley mentioned in Arthur's office saying uh, there was a discussion about how Sirius would really love one of the stories that was written about him, uh, apparently Sirius uh, is innocent of the crimes against uh, all those muggles and Peter Pettigrew uh, because he's actually the lead singer of a band called the Hobgoblins. Uh, his name is Stubby Boardman, and uh, he was uh, out canoodling one night uh, with the the woman who's giving the, the account uh, of this Ooh. story uh, to Xenophilius Lovegood. And... Uh, yeah, so serious. Uh, Rock and roll star? Like, what kind of music do the Hog Goblins play? It sounds like a punk rock type of band. Uh, apparently, it's a the kind of band that attracts an audience that has turnips to throw at them. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think there was probably a pretty bad concert uh, that was not well received by the audience because Stubby Boardman retired after being hit in the ear with a turnip from the audience. So, What a snowflake. <laughs> If you uh, there's, had there's a turnip also... thrown at you at a live show, would you be like, I'm going to keep this going? Uh, yeah, that's rock and roll. That's what you got to do. <laughs> you know, people throw yeah, stuff up on the stage. Totally rock and I would roll. be heavily discouraged. Have, sec have security throw out the person and, and keep going. Right. You call that person out. Somebody captures it on video. You go viral. You become huge. I just think it would be, um, I think there is like a little joke about a diva like being a, like stubby board moves like such a diva but then also he's sharing romantic candlelit dinners with doris perkis uh the night he was uh convicted of all those murders so i don't know i i love the alternative fact thing that the quibbler has going because it's again an antidote to the outrageous deliberate lies let's say the more malicious lies that the daily prophet is is printing very true and there's another one in there that's worth mentioning about the minister cornelius fudge and that in fact his his nickname which kind of sounds like his wrestling name <laughs> is cornelius goblin crusher fudge and you know this one i'll be honest with you I could see some truth to this. Not necessarily that, you know, he's he crushes goblins, but 
what is the real relationship that he has with the goblin community, especially knowing kind of how things are trending now with the ministry? Right. Yeah, definitely not a a good one. Yeah, there could be a little bit of truth to this story. Obviously, it's embellished quite a bit, but I I think that's sort of the allure of, of a paper like The Quibbler is that on the surface, the story seems, you know, just completely out there, but there could be some legitimacy buried beneath all the mm-hmm. wackiness. Yeah. I mean, the, the quibbler is such an enigma to me. What are what are we supposed to make of it? Are we supposed to be taking this as a quasi-serious publication? No. I, why does it get to skirt down the middle? I, I just kind of hate that it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it, I think that that it's kind of JK Rowling showing uh, a gray area there. It's, it's just that the, the, this paper is so bold and Xenophilius is so brave for publishing something like this. He is a crackpot. Like he is absolutely not, he does not seem to have journalistic integrity, which is hugely problematic, right? This, this kind of, right. this kind of publication has no place in a world where, but, facts matter well does the daily prophet at this point have journalistic integrity and do facts matter to them so i think that's the whole point of them introducing the paper like the quibbler is that you're looking at you're like yeah it's all a bunch of rubbish but at the same time the mainstream newspaper is printing things that are not true about harry so but the trick with the prophet is that it was established as a credible new source so a lot of readers probably still believe everything in mm-hmm. there right except mm-hmm. they they are able to swing it around though when they release harry's interview in the quibbler like the quibbler becomes a wonderful tool or was it rita skeeter publishes for the quibbler yeah mm-hmm. yeah like yeah. honestly so they're able to take something like the quibbler because it's willing to print less than popular opinions and they're able to make it sort of give it an air of legitimacy. Like Harry and his friends make it more honest. I think. I also think in times of the rising fascism, papers like the quibbler do begin to matter more, right? Because, because to your point, like the daily prophet, I think probably was once a credible newspaper, but, um, has become in this like rise of terror time less credible and um the because the ministry is less credible and so i think that having i mean it just shows the like danger of monopoly right like there should be more than one paper so that the quibbler isn't the only yeah um antidote Mm mm-hmm but just like you can't take this paper, the the quibbler seriously when every article includes this twisty line. But yeah. does he? <laughs> it just automatically de- disqualifies it as a legitimate yeah, news source. It's corny. It's got a tabloid feel yeah. to it. Yeah, that's it, just how to put it. For it's sure, a tabloid. You don't know what's real and what's not. You look at these tabloids at the at the food store, and maybe some of that stuff is real, <laughs> but most of it probably is. It isn't more like a blog. <laughs> it's like a single writer paper. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Rita Skeeter will later be um, an exception to that, but I I really think of it as just like mm-hmm. Xenophilius' private blog. Yeah. <laughs> Before we uh, make our way to Hogsmeade, Harry gets one more visitor that shows up at 
the compartment that they're in, and it's Draco. Oh. And uh, summarize it to say that, uh, you know, they go back and forth. Draco's been named Prefect. He threatens Harry to keep in line. Harry's telling him to shut up. Hermione's telling him to shut up. Uh, but he does tell Harry, quote, that he will be dogging his footsteps mm-hmm. at school. Mm-hmm. So going back to our discussion earlier on about Sirius, probably not the best idea for him to have come yep. to King's Cross Station. Nope. It's just yep. a real shame because I know that it came out of a place of inner turmoil and desperation that Sirius you know, really wanted to see his godson off, but it was not in the end a smart move. And God, what a shock to the system that Draco knows Sirius's secret. Those characters never interacted. But thanks to Peter Pettigrew, everyone on the dark side knows the secret now. And knows Harry and Sirius's close relationship right now, which comes into play later. Yep. So yep. just a mess. Yep. Suffice it to say that so far, the trip to school has not been a good one for Harry with everything that we've discussed. And it only gets better once he gets to Hogsmeade because he doesn't hear that familiar voice that he's used to hearing calling out first years. In Instead, it's uh, Professor Grubblyplank that's doing it. And this goes back, actually, if you remember, uh, I had brought up a couple episodes ago how Harry, once he was... Um, let off at his trial and he gets back to grim old place there's this moment where he's like yeah i'm gonna be get to go down to hagrid's hut and do all these different this is the first example of something that he was really excited to be doing once he was back at school being taken away from him because hagrid is not there good point and the chapter wraps up with another kind of moment of isolation for harry because for the first time, he's able to see what is pulling these carriages that are going to take them up to the school. And we're not actually even told what they are at this point. Mm-hmm. We just get a description of them. Um, but Luna walks past Harry and assures him that he's just as sane as her. <laughs> and Great. that she can see them as well. So that makes Harry feel really good <laughs> about himself. And, uh, yeah, that, that's where the chapter wraps up. Uh, of course, later on, we learn that they are Thestrals and they can only be seen by those who have seen death. And that brings some clarity to the situation. But uh, it's a little weird when, like, Ron is staring like <laughs> straight into its face and can't see mm-hmm. it. They're called Thestrals. <laughs> there had to have been some student who was like, trying to board the carriage and like was just like oh there's a huge open space here i'm gonna walk in front of the carriage and then like like got thwapped by like walking directly can they feel them i wonder it would be really weird if they couldn't like right that wouldn't make sense right because like i know you can yeah i know people can't see them but like oh the people who can't see them fly them at the end of the book Mm. um don't they at least one or two kids yes okay so Mm -hmm. yeah they you can touch them you could like walk right into them that's a security nightmare that's or it's a that's a that's an injury kind of that's a an insurance nightmare isn't it to have kids like just add it to the list at this point yeah okay yeah fine (laughs) but um oh my god i would read 
so much about the Hogwarts insurance policy. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be great. I have never thought about how to insure Hogwarts. And I'm like, oh, I want to know every, I want to know everything about the Hogwarts insurance policy. I mean, pulling off the end of a rotating staircase that moves unexpectedly, like, I mean, the list is miles long. Yeah, but then also you have to think about like how amazing Madame Pomfrey is. So I, I think that like she makes, the risk much lower in which case she should be asking for a really high salary because she saves them a lot of money on her insurance policy you know for a chapter that opens with Ginny falling down two flights of stairs <laughs> and ending up mostly okay i'm actually glad we ended this on uh insurance stock <laughs> well when i need a good policy i go with allstate you're in good hands at hogwarts with allstate <laughs> But Luna says to Harry that she could see them ever since she first came to Hogwarts, which is, of course, we know this from the additional writing from J.K. Rowling. It's because of her mother's death. Mm -hmm. Um, Luna has witnessed the death of Pandora, the former Quizich answer. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is the chapter. The Umbridge suck count remains unchanged at seven. Before we get to connecting the threads, it's time for a word from our second sponsor this week and one who's coming to us just in time for the holidays. What I love about the holidays is the opportunity to reconnect with family. It's especially important for me because I live far away from everyone and I see most of them just once a year, really. And what do I do when I see them? I love swapping stories and reliving moments together. But keeping those memories alive can be hard. And we here in the muggle world don't have a pensive to relive them through and these memories and stories from our elders can often fall away from the family as time and generations pass and that's sad we want our family's history to be preserved that's why i'm giving my family the most meaningful gift this year story worth this is an incredible company who keeps your family's history alive and remembered StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones tell the story of their lives through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family member different story prompts, questions you've never thought to ask, like what have been some of your life's greatest surprises, and what's one of the riskiest things you've ever done? And here's the really cool part. After one year, StoryWorth will compile every answered question and photo you choose to include into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. You never know what family history StoryWorth will uncover. And what I love about StoryWorth is that these memories are being preserved. This is such a great gift idea for a parent, a grandparent, or any family member. It's a unique opportunity to connect and to store your family's stories. Otherwise, how do you keep them? And how do you remember to collect the stories? StoryWorth does it all for you. Preserve and pass on memories with StoryWorth, the most meaningful gift for your family. Sign up today by going to storyworth.com slash muggle. You'll get $20 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash muggle for $20 off. Laura, what are some threads between this book and others? Yeah, so this was a really fun one. Um, With connecting the threads, Vanessa, we like to look back at um, the books as though Goblet of Fire is sort of the centerpiece. So then books one and seven, two and six, and three and five all correspond to each other. And there was some really cool stuff between 
this chapter of Order of the Phoenix and chapter five of Prisoner of Azkaban, where the trio are traveling back to Hogwarts on the Hogwarts Express. So the first one is who the trio meet in both of these cases. In Prisoner of Azkaban, they meet Lupin on the Hogwarts Express when they can't find an empty compartment and they just find one with this disheveled looking man sleeping in the compartment. What's funny about this to me is that they express a little bit of apprehension about Lupin, but it's not nearly to the level of what they express about Luna in Order of the Phoenix, which makes me think think that there's maybe some unconscious bias at play. Um, But I also really like the moon imagery that comes into play here. So, of course, we have Lupin, Mm. who is moony. He is a werewolf. He is transformed by the moon. And then we have... Luna Lovegood, who, I mean, of course, the name is a connection, but she is also very much uh, kind of a moony personality. Um, She's very dotty, as they expressed uh, in the book. Mm -hmm. So then there's this feeling of isolation um, on the Hogwarts Express in both cases for Harry. So in Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 5, Harry is the only one who's affected by the Dementor on the train to such an extreme amount. And he feels kind of isolated and embarrassed by that and is wondering, why am I the only one this happened to? And likewise, in Order of the Phoenix, he feels really isolated and left behind when Ron and Hermione go to their first prefect meeting. Finally, uh, the the horseless carriages get a special mention in Chapter 5 of Prisoner of Azkaban after riding the Hogwarts Express. And... Harry now notes that he can see the creatures that are pulling the carriages. So this was just a really nice um, chapter of threads that directly correlated back to chapter five of Prisoner of Azkaban. And I don't think this was unintentional. I think JK Rowling's a genius. (laughs) I'm starting to think that too. (laughs) Thank you, Laura. Time now for MVP of the week. I'm going to give it to Luna because she quickly becomes a fan favorite character and i like she that she's just an unexpected surprise for harry and makes F- harry feel very uncomfortable in front of cho so thank you luna i'll give it to Ginny, just for sticking up for people she sticks up for neville she makes the introduction to luna and uh she fell down the stairs and still had a hell of a chapter so she's my mvp of the week <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it to the Quippler because this is our first introduction to it and it proves to be pretty important later on. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give my MVP. I couldn't decide between two people, but one of them is Tonks because she's able to, it's very kind of a throwaway thing, but she's able to use her metamorphosis capabilities to uh, create the appearance of an old woman and she kind of walks with them to King's Cross and it's very understated, but like there's your perfect disguise right there. Sirius could learn something from that. And then there's also in the quibbler, there's a guy who claims he went to the moon on a broom and I'm just, (laughs) just going to give it to him too, because that's an outrageous claim. Oh my The first wizard on the moon. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it to Cho because so few people are able to make Harry feel like not the hottest thing around. And I show with just her presence mm-hmm. can make him feel small, you know, like I think in a really humbling and important way. 
So I'm going to give it to Joe. Okay. And now let's rename the chapter. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 10, Sirius and the Hobgoblins, playing at a venue near you. Do they sing, uh, what was it? Who'd you say? Luna the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Luna, Looney, the oh, Love, Good okay. Reindeer, Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. Screaming Goat. Uh, Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 10, Bad Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 10. I wish that I could be like the cool kids. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 10. Moon frogs. The, uh, the guy who's, who flew to the moon on a broom brought back moon frogs to prove that he had been there. <laughs> so, whatever. Available in chocolate form, I hope. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 10. Scene upside down. <laughs> just seemed like a very jk rolling way to say something yeah um if you have any feedback about today's discussion feel free to send it in you can go to mugglecast.com and you'll find a contact form you can also email mugglecast at gmail.com you can also send a voice memo that way if you want to record one on your phone and just email to that same address time now for quizage yep last week's question what does neville get for his 15th birthday Turns out it's Mimulus Mimbletonia, a very interesting and unique uh, item, I guess, for a birthday present. But uh, he got it from his uncle Algy in Assyria. And the people who submitted the correct answer to us over on Twitter include Anne Smith, Lightning McJingles, Kate Yang, Daniela, Marie, Count Ravioli, Vanessa Cho, Jason King, Amber Forrester, Stacey Zuverink, and Erica, as well as others. We will mention all of you over on Twitter directly. But be sure, when participating, to at reply us and use hashtag Quizich so that we see your replies and you might get a shout-out on our show. Uh, next week's question, who is the first Gryffindor, the first new Gryffindor, uh, during Harry's fifth year? Okay. Vanessa, thanks for coming on today. It was so nice to have you on. This was so fun. Thank you so, so much. And yeah, you all are a delight. Absolutely. So we can find you at Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. How do we find that online, your show online? So we're on the Twitter at HP Sacred Text and same with Instagram. And we have a Facebook discussion group. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can find us. All right. Excellent. Thank you again so much. It was so great to have you on and um you know it's nice hanging out with her fellow harry potter podcasters absolutely thanks so much guys yeah absolutely and if you out there would like to follow us we are available on twitter facebook and instagram username mugglecast we would also really appreciate your support at patreon join our community today at patreon.com slash mugglecast and you will receive new installments of bonus mugglecast for example and like i said this week, we will be discussing why Draco was made a prefect, what and what theories we have around why and how that happens. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm uh, Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Vanessa. Bye, Bye. 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 Bye.